I do my show on the Heritage Radio Network because I think it's important to talk about the impact of technology on our lives. I do my show to reach home cooks and help them do better. I love getting together with people in the industry. I like hosting my show because to me, it's the stories about people and their relationship to food that help make the food more interesting and more delicious. Our hosts do their shows as a labor of love, but we still need your financial support in order to keep the lights on and keep the tape rolling. Please become a member today at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program is brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit cane5.com. This is Sherry Bayer from All in the Industry. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sharp and Hot. I am your host, Emily Peterson, broadcasting to you live from Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This is episode number 138 on a sweltering heatwave day here in New York City. If you are somewhere else out in the world and it is not 95 degrees, I hope you are enjoying it. I spent the morning in air conditioning. I walked outside and it was instantly, I felt as I was walking down the stairs to the L train, I felt like I was walking into an oven. But I'm not complaining because this is summer. This is July in New York City. And so I'm just acknowledging what time it is so that if in six months you're listening to this as you're you know riding up a ski slope, you're like, oh, yeah, I remember when it was hot in New York. Um, so I'm super excited to welcome my guest to the studio. She is a cookbook author and spokesperson and chef herself. Her name is Letizia Schwartz. She is the author of My Brazilian Kitchen and My Rio de Janeiro, and she is here just in time for the Olympic opening ceremonies. Thank you for coming, Chef Letizia. Thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. I'm so excited for the Olympics. I am a huge Olympics fan. Mm-hmm. Um, how has you? How have you been from Rio and now having the Olympics be in your home city affected you as a writer of this particular part of the world? Well, I am super excited, too. I'm a little nervous, too. There has I want been to talk a, about that. Yes, yeah. yes, there has been a wave of, you know, not so great news, but uh, I think we're going to get through. You know, Rio has a history of hosting events um, that I think we, we are going to make it just fine. Like uh, in 2007, we hosted the Pan American Games. In 2011, we hosted the military games in 2012 the Rio plus 20 games Pope Francis visit visited Rio right um, the Federation Cup was there the World Cup was in Brazil and now 2016 the Rio Olympics so we do have a history of hosting events of this magnitude not to mention that every year we have carnival and New Year's Eve, which are really, you know, millions and millions of people. So I, I am hoping that we're going to be okay. <laughs> I feel crossing like, fingers. Yeah, crossing fingers. I feel like any big event, uh, you know, I have a friend whose hometown is Cleveland, and last week was the Republican National Convention, yeah. and it was the same thing. It's like just 
just let everything be okay. Um, let's let's assume everything's going to go wonderfully. You know, there is a ton of people who are working to make sure that everyone is safe and has an incredible time. Mm-hmm. So, for the people who can't make it to the Olympic Games, you have written cookbooks to bring Rio into our home kitchen. So, what are some things that we can do that'll make us feel like we're there? Well, absolutely. The first thing I recommend is actually to buy my books. <laughs> You know, no, but I, I mean, I'm saying that with a little bit of shameless commercialism yeah, here, yeah. you know, but, but hey, I really, appreciate your, uh, your transparency, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the books really take you on a, you know, a food tour of uh, Brazilian cuisine and especially Rio de Janeiro, which is my hometown. And what's so interesting about Brazilian cuisine is that some people don't even know what is Brazilian cuisine. I have to confess that I'm, I'm probably a little bit in that camp. So pretend I don't know anything about it. Tell me about the geography and right. what are the influences. So uh, that's a big question. So you have to <laughs> okay, interrupt me yeah. here. <laughs> if I talk too much, you just put in because it's I can go on and on talking about that, you know. Well, Brazilian cuisine is really a, a, a mixture of three different influences. The Portuguese, the native Indian, and the African. And what's so interesting interesting about our culture is that we really have a pact with these three, you know, a pact with culture. And in different parts of the country, you see a little bit of this influence a little bit stronger than others. So for example, in my hometown, Rio de Janeiro, um, it smells like Portugal, you know, and the architecture and the face of the people. So, um, in that part, I feel that it's all about cod and olive oil and potatoes and onions, you know. If you travel a little bit north to the region of Bahia, then it smells like Africa. You know, you walk in the middle of the streets in the Pelorino, which is a landscape, a touristic landscape, um, and you see all the Bayanas selling acarajés. Acarajés is like a, a black-eyed pea bean frieder um, and we use a lot of dende oil or palm oil um, if you travel even north to the Amazon region then you really have the influence of the native Indian and you hear uh, you eat a lot of the uh, yucca and all of the derivatives of that one vegetable a lot of coconut a lot of exotic fish so it's really a, a wild um, travel a, a wild adventure you know if you travel to the south of the country then you can really have a taste of uh, the meat and the churrasco which is something that we were actually able to export I think that when I say that I am a Brazilian chef and a cookbook, cookbook author a lot of people one of the first things that people come to me and say oh I've been to a churrascaria and that's basically all they know about Brazilian cuisine um, it is wonderful that they know this much, but there is so much more. You know, it's almost like saying that um, American cooking is 
barbecue and you go to Texas and it's all about, you know, jerk meat and barbecue and, and it's delicious. It's amazing. But it's so much more than that. Right. Yeah. You wouldn't go to Maine and have Texas exactly. barbecue. <laughs> but I think, yeah, I mean, I think we kind of fall into that sort of we learn one thing and then like lock that in and be like, oh, OK, so that's what I know about Brazilian cuisine. Right. So uh, there's also Caparina is from Brazil, right? So oh, if people are celebrating. <laughs> <laughs> so I had uh, a Caparina for the first time and that like changed my life because I have a very good friend, uh, Mr. Reed, if you're listening. Hello, friend, uh, who turned me on to uh, Rio because he used to go down uh, and I'm sure he still does, goes to Carnival every year. Mm-hmm. So explain the Caparina and what what is that deliciousness founded on? So Caipirinha is really a very simple drink. Um, composed of cachaça, which is the national alcohol of Brazil, kind of like tequila is for for Mexico or um, vodka is for Russia, right? And it's prepared with lime and sugar. And it sounds really, really simple, but there are some variables that really can make a difference. For example, um, I find that if you make caipirinha... um, kind of like on a pitcher or in a catering occasion, it really doesn't work that well. You know, in my in my opinion, caipirinha really has to be prepared a la minute, you know, <laughs> you know, individual portions. And it's so much fun to prepare. Another misconception that we have about caipirinha is that um, the cachaça, uh, we're trying to kind of like label that cachaça has to come from Brazil. And many times it is confused with rum. Now, both alcohols are a derivative from sugar cane, except that the rum comes from the molasses of sugar cane, while the cachaça is aged from the fresh juices of sugar cane. So, for example, when I was growing up in Rio, I used to um, go to the farmer's market and they have they one of the very traditional things to do in Rio is to eat uh, fried empanada or how we call pastel with um, fresh sugarcane juices. And the thing about, in my opinion, the way to judge a good cachaça is what really reminds me of that fresh sugarcane, you know, juice, because it's so refreshing and so sweet. And then, of course, with the cachaça, you have that fire accent, right? So I'm very happy to hear that you are into cachaça, into I, caipirinha. You know, and it, it is refreshing is the word. And you're like, oh, my God, this is so good. Um, okay, so if we were, uh, if you were going to come over to my house for the opening games of the Rio ceremony, what would be our ideal sort of snacks to cook out of your two books? Which, I, if you want to say the titles, you should say the titles. Yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> so my books are The Brazilian Kitchen and My Rio de Janeiro. And And they are available wherever books are sold. Once again, The Brazilian Kitchen and My Rio de Janeiro. So let's talk about (laughs) what we're going to cook from the books. Well, I think that, have you ever heard of feijoada? No. So feijoada is really a black bean stew 
with a lot of gastronomical uh, emphasis to it. And it's really one of the most classic dishes of Brazilian cuisine. Um, in terms of tapas, um, there are so we, we are so big on tapas. You know, it's um, it, we live on tapas. It's part of our culture. Um, I would say that one of the most iconic dishes that I would definitely include in a let's call it like a Rio Olympic party. How about that? that sounds great. Um, would be bolinho de bacalhau, which is cod fritters. I've had that. You've had I've that? I've had that. Yeah, that's delicious. Isn't it delicious? Yeah. And um, so that's one tapas that's very classic. Another one is um, uh, meat croquette. That's also, you know, super easy to prepare. Um, another one is uh, uh, baked crab. You know, so it's uh, we do have a lot of a lot of uh, tapas and pastels and empanadas, a, a lot of that. My mouth is like, well, and we're sitting here Watering. at like, a crowded <laughs> restaurant on this. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this sounds so good. Um, we have to take a quick break. But when we get back, I have a listener question and you are also, uh, which is about food and travel, which I feel like you are an expert to help me answer. And you're also a part of the American Diabetes Challenge as well. Yes. Let's talk about that, too. Okay. Okay, so we'll be right back after a quick break. I went down to North Carolina this is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Cane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Kane5.com. Welcome back to Sharp and Hot, everyone. I am joined in the studio by Chef Letizia Schwartz. Um, so I got a listener question via Facebook a few weeks ago, and I was kind of holding on to it for exactly the right person to answer, because as the listeners know, I have a three-and-a-half-year-old, almost four-year-old, and so my travel has been a little bit limited um, by you know, because I've had a baby in tow. But I feel like you're going to be very good at answering this. So Logan writes... Thank you for the honor, by yeah, the way. Yeah, very excited to answer this. I, you know, I feel bad because Logan had asked me this question. I'm like scared to look at what the date was. Uh, April 27th. So I've been okay. holding on to this for a long time, but I just messaged him. I was like, we're going to talk about it today. I'm sorry it took me so long. Um, okay, so it says, I have the Sharp and Hot theme song stuck in my head. Awesome. Uh, and I discovered your show on Heritage Radio Network through the Farm Report, and I'm enjoying it very much. Thank you, Logan. I, I usually black out the parts that are complimentary me and just get to the question. <laughs> uh, I don't know if this is included in the scope of the show, but I was wondering how to get the most out of food traveling and learning more from food experiences. I'm currently a web developer, but I've taken a keen interest in food over the past couple of years and I want to learn more and hopefully someday transition. I assume he means into like food and travel, which I'll tell you is a pretty great gig. It's a pretty great, yeah. right? Amazing. So how do you, how do you, if you know you're going on a trip somewhere like Rio, 
I have another friend who's going to Chicago for a long weekend. How, where do you start? How do you know you're going to get the best experiences? Well, in my opinion, I think that there is before, during, and after. So it's almost like you transform your trip into a long trip by doing the research before, by enjoying your trip while you're there, and then by bringing home with you what you learned from that place. You know, I think that at in the age of the internet that we are now, it is so easy for us to discover, um, you know, where to go. What are the blogs that you have to read? Um, what are the restaurants, the bars, the juice bars? And, you know, it's, it's, it's all on your fingertips. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's like it can almost be overwhelming, like especially if you use Yelp. You know, I feel like Yelp just sort of gives you an idea of what percolates to the top because people either love something or they hate something and everything ends up being like three and a half stars. So how do you filter through, um, like, how do you find like the best tapas place in Rio? Right. Well, I think that, yes, there is a lot on the internet, but at one point you want to look for the experts on that place. Right. No amateur Yelpers. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, so in the case of Rio, I have to say once again that I would highly recommend my books, my uh, The Brazilian Kitchen and my Rio de Janeiro. But with any other city in the world, you know, what you want to do is look for, you know, the experts and, and you know, read the magazines, read, you know, there's so much research that you can do ahead of time. Yeah, I, I think in the United States for travel, like the Edible magazines, Edible is all over the U.S. Is, is there an Edible in Rio? There are many uh, food magazines in Brazil. There is not the Edible one, yeah, yeah. but we do have a lot of food magazines that I highly recommend um, buying there. And, and I think that, um, like I said, bringing recipes home you know, and sometimes it's not always easy to buy, I mean, to bring the ingredients, of course. But we, we live in an age where you can shop local and eat global. Right. It's pretty easy to find um, the, the ingredients uh, for just about any cuisine anywhere now. I think... Uh, I. Th I can I can say it. I think the statute of limitations has passed. My husband and I smuggled cacao beans back from Did you Belize. Really? <laughs> we it was like it was like doing the most. That was probably the most illegal thing I've ever done. Uh. Going through <laughs> David, the uh, my engineer shaking his head, he's tis tisking me from the booth. I I like going through the you know we had to go through customs coming back. Um, um, my husband and I were on the plane, like trying to decide who was going to carry this thing in their bag because, and so we decided it would be me because I was less likely to get stopped and more likely to be able to flirt my way out of being in trouble. <laughs> and I must have been as white as a ghost going through, like I, they're, they're just going to catch me. I just, and then they just like waved me through, and then we had this. Thing. Now I don't sanction this. I don't recommend this. I don't think that you know bringing things through customs that are illegal is a good idea. But if you right. do it, you do get to have cacao beans, right. fresh cacao beans. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I have to say, in the case of Brazilian cuisine, for example, I teach a lot of cooking classes in the tri-state area, New York, Connecticut, and New Jersey. And one of the things that I see the most when I'm teaching is that people have this misconception that you have to go to Brazil to find the ingredients. And it's so far from the true. I mean, what you can do 
with your local supermarket and grocery store, you can do a feast with Brazilian cuisine. Like we were talking on the other segment, you know, perhaps we can do a feijoada. Well, a feijoada alone is like a blank canvas for, you know, an amount of meats of all kinds. You don't have to use the pork ears or, you know, the pork's of uh, feet, you know, you can you can just about use any kinds of meat and sausage, and you have feijoada. And the same thing with cod. And you know, you take a piece of fish and you uh, prepare uh, with onions, potatoes, olive oil, and olives, and you have a Brazilian dish right in front of you. Right. When you, you know? said that earlier, I was like, yeah, really. It's it's like as much as travel is part of it. Travel is like almost like the inspiration. And then you bring home this sort of new way of looking at your Venn diagram of ingredients, you know? So if each ingredient is a circle and we have potatoes and onions and cod, depending on the proportions of wh how you're using all these things, it can take you all over the world. Absolutely. And this is actually one of the reasons why I love cooking so much, because you can really travel in your own kitchen without having to be at that place, right? right? I love the idea, too, that you, like, extend the, the vacation. And I think one of the tips that we were given uh, in traveling is you look for a mail carrier and ask the mail carriers where they eat lunch. I've never had a bad lunch in a place where I asked the mail carrier where to go. Because they a good know. One. Yeah, I was yeah. like, they know, like, where the sandwich shops are. They know, like, where the good takeout is. In Savannah, we got uh, sent to this like luncheonette that we never in a million years would have found, but we were just walking around in the city. I also think not having a too tight of a plan is key to enjoying food travel too. Like just kind of know that you're going to eat and know you're going to get through your day. And there may be a couple of landmarks that you're going to hit, but be open to getting distracted and getting sent and getting lost and being like down these winding paths, because that's how you find these amazing restaurants. But that also become experiences because it wasn't part of what you were expecting. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And it's not just about the food. I mean, there's so much to discover uh, in the case of Brazil, for example. I mean, it, there's the food, yes, but there's our there's music, culture, travel, fitness and health, for example. Uh, well, let's talk about Brazilian women, right? Yes. Are like known as the icons of perfection. Yes, <laughs> I wish that I could represent some of them, but we do have the uh, supermodels out there to really make a big name to our, you know, to our uh, myth and fame to that. Right, right. Yeah. So yeah. Is, is fitness part of travel in Brazil? Definitely. I love that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it is definitely part of my life. You know, I, I have always tried to uh, incorporate fitness into my life. I feel that growing up in Rio, uh, it's a place where it calls for exercise. There's a certain stamina and adrenaline in the city of Rio. You know, your body's always hot and sweating. You know, there is a certain kind of sexiness to it um, that it really propelled people to uh, exercise a little bit more. Yeah, party a little bit more to flirt a little bit more to but definitely exercise and right. that's one part of the culture that I you know try to keep with me I feel like cultures where you stay up late at night tend to invest more in keeping their bodies beautiful you know I feel like there's a balance between 
you know, I want to invest in my body because I want to be strong and I want to be around for a long time. But there's an element of vanity. I want to be hot, Absolutely. you know, like I want to look young. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, for for each and every person, I think that there is a certain, um, you know, background. In my case, for example, um, I've had a path, my family share, you know, kind of like my, we lost uh, my grandfather for type 2 diabetes. So that's something that kind of like changed all of the attitude that my family, you know, the way we live life and the lifestyle that we were, you know, living. Uh, And it kind of like that's um, what brought me actually to work with, you know, this program. I'm also uh, work with uh, Merck and the America's Diabetes Challenge. And basically, we are trying to, you know, raise awareness of, um, type 2 diabetes and uh, how people can actually live a healthy lifestyle and also that you don't have to sacrifice flavor even if you have type 2 diabetes. So what is, is type 2 diabetes something that you can control whether or not you get or is it something that you just get, is it lifestyle based or do we not know or like how, how does one come to have type 2 diabetes? Well, that is a big question, and it's very broad, and it's very hard to have one single answer to it because it really depends. There are so many factors that can affect uh, a person to get type 2 diabetes. You know, sometimes it's simply genetics, uh, sometimes, and actually... In the age that we live now, and that that's why I'm actually so um, enthusiastic about this program, it has to do with lifestyle and it has to do with education and awareness. You know, what we see happening today, especially here in America and especially with, you know, the Latin community, which is the, the community that I belong to, is that a lot of people, they just don't know. You know, they don't see the doctors on a frequent basis, you know, so what we're really trying to do is get the community to come together. And we actually have that on our website, America's Diabetes Challenge. We want to hear their stories. We want to share just like I am sharing that, you know, my grandmother, she actually struggled to care for my grandfather. He was very, he was very stubborn and she didn't have much of the awareness and the tools that she needed to take care of him, you know. And so he died of a stroke, which is a complication from type 2 diabetes. Um, But what we're trying to do is really to engage with the community and and raise awareness and and show that you are not alone. So we definitely, if you are listening to us, come to our website, America's Diabetes Challenge, and share your story with us. We want to hear from you. And what are some of the things that people can do what are some like actionable things that we can do to make healthier lifestyle choices to either mitigate the pain that we may have already found ourselves in or prevent, you know, if there is a true prevention, I don't know, but sort of stave off some of that stuff. I will say I was standing, I go to the grocery store a lot, especially I love to shop for groceries (laughs) and it's air conditioned, but I watch people shopping for groceries and there was a woman and her son standing in the cereal aisle Mm -hmm. and they were holding boxes of cereal 
that were not healthy by any stretch. Right. But the boxes were screaming all of their health claims at this family that was clearly trying to make better choices in lifestyle change. And it was all I had to, I wish I had like a superhero cape to be like, <laughs> no, no, right, right. <laughs> step away from the health claims. Uh-huh. Um, so what are some things that people can do when they're standing in the cereal aisle? I mean, I would say primarily get out of the cereal aisle, but what are some actionable things we can do to make right. better choices? Well, if you think about it, it's the small changes. It's really what makes a difference. For example, so this mother and child, uh, they are in the uh, cereal aisle. How about if you, in your superhero cape, <laughs> guide them, right? Guide them through the produce aisle, you know, buying more fresh produce, visiting more the uh, fresh, uh, you know, farmer's market. I think that's one. Um, Also, cooking more at home. I think we live in an age where it's so easy to just buy takeout food, you know, and people, you know, we claim all the time, we, we, we use all of the excuses that, oh, I don't have the time to cook. It takes too much time. I come home from work. But really, when you cook at home, you have so much more control of what goes into your body. Right. And like when you look at an ingredients list of like a frozen and dinner, not that I don't eat them because I do, but I look at, I force myself to read all of those ingredients and think if I'd made this, you know, black bean burrito myself, that even if I got it in the organic aisle, you know, I'm not adding niacin. I'm not adding, uh, you know, enriched wheat flour. You know, it's like, I would never do that. And I find that having a plan going into any week with a plan for my meals is a guarantee that I will not find myself in the freezer aisle or the cereal aisle. Absolutely. Although, speaking about freezer, I have to say, and I'll ask you, how do you feel about that? Because you are also a chef. When it comes to freezing, I don't have a problem um, if I cook my own meals and then I freeze. In fact, I use that tool a lot. I find that um, cooking meals ahead of time and freezing them and being able to enjoy them in, uh, you know, once or twice before I always double or triple the recipes. I find that that's another great way of bringing, you know, natural cooking into your home without having to every night. Yep. I 100% agree. I also buy frozen frozen vegetables and fruits. Like I'll Mm -hmm. buy frozen strawberries or frozen mangoes out of season because I know that those were harvested and frozen at the peak of their freshness, but I don't buy them with the peas already have butter in the bag. You know, like I don't buy the sweetened blueberries. I buy the, you know, whole. So I'm not completely anti-freezer aisle. And absolutely, especially if you're making something like lasagna, where it's just as easy to make three as it is to make one. Exactly. Then that's, you're like saving yourself time and money. And I hope what people hear is that we're all giving the same advice over and over. Eat at home, eat vegetables and produce. Like it's not rocket science to keep your body healthy and strong for the long haul. Yes. Especially when you have resources like your books, like wonderful radio shows that bring this information directly into your house. Chef Letizia, thank you so much for coming on Sharp and thank Hot. Thank you so much for you having me. You have a me. website, which is uh, chefletizia.com, where yes. people can find out more about you. It's got recipes on it. You are also on Twitter. Yes, don't forget to follow me on social media. You can find me as Chef Letizia or as Letizia Moreno's Schwartz. 
Are you going to Rio for the Olympics? I am. I'm so excited <laughs> for you. Do you have tickets to go to any particular event? I do. What are you going to see? I'm going to see the volleyball. How yeah. fun. So far, that's what I have. All right. But let's see. I have had my son in swimming lessons for a long time. And when I watch him jump off the diving board at three and a half, I wonder, am I going to be showing these videos on NBC someday when right. he's competing in the swim competition? I don't know. No pressure on my kid. He can do whatever he wants. But if he wants to go on, you know, on to be an Olympian, I would be totally fine with that. Thank you so much for coming to Bushwick. Have a wonderful, safe trip to Rio. I can't wait to hear all about it. I want to say thank you to... Uh, oh, I just closed the window. Nope, there it is. Logan, thank you so much. If you have a listener question, you can find me on Facebook at uh, sharp forward slash sharp and hot. I am on Twitter and Instagram at Chef Emily P. If you use the hashtag sharp and hot on Instagram, I will send you a cookbook from my collection. I love to see everything that you guys are out there making and doing and cooking. And I will be back next week. Thank you so much for giving me your 30 minutes. I know that there is a lot lot of content to choose from out there and i truly appreciate that you have chosen to spend this time with us thank you to david for engineering the show thank you to nice peter for the theme song it is very catchy if you like what you hear on heritage radio network go to heritageradionetwork.org for all of our programming click the beating heart and give a donation we are a member supported public radio station you can join our community by giving us some love $60 donation will get you a beer koozie or a can koozie if you want to put your LaCroix sodas in it that's cool too thank you so much until next week everybody remember to keep playing with fire and knives Shut Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>